we're going to go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And so this is one more, uh, sort of a, stand-al- a standalone week before we start a, a series um, next week. Um, so l- last week Alistair gave us, I suppose, kind of a, a New Year's um, challenge about our, from, from Hebrews. And what I took from that was a, a challenge at the start of a new year to reflect on our, our relationship with God, if like our the vertical uh, relationship. So I thought this morning we would look at, from Colossians chapter 3, having thought about our sort of vertical relationship between man and God at the start of the year last week. This week to look at a passage which speaks more about our horizontal, sometimes get those mixed up, vertical and horizontal. Vertical is that one, isn't it? Horizontal. Uh, between, our, between each other, um, at the start of the year, to take stock, if you like to do an audit of our, our, of our relationships with, with each other. Um, so that's where we're going this morning, Colossians chapter 3. I have a bit of a problem with throat, so if I suddenly stop talking in the middle of the, the sermon, um, maybe your prayers will be answered <laughs> if that happens. Uh, but forgive, forgive me if I'm a bit quieter maybe than, than usual. But Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. This is God's word. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Narcissus was a, a hunter in Greek mythology. He was the son of the river god Cephasus. And um, a bit like myself, he was a very good-looking young man. Uh, and hunter would, would go around the woods, I presume hunting, and lots of people would, would fall for him and, and, and fall in love with him. Um, but he would only ever show them disdain and, and contempt. And one day he was hunting in the woods, and a young lady called Echo spotted him and immediately fell in love. And she, she followed him around the forest and eventually caught up with him and, and professed her undying love for, for Narcissus. He pushed her off and told her to, to not disturb him, to go away. And Echo, in despair, roamed the woods for the rest of her life and wilted away until all that remained of her was an echo sound. Um, but Nemesis, uh, the goddess of retribution and revenge... Uh, this isn't, tr- isn't a true story, by the way. Um, <laughs> just, just in case. Uh, Nemesis, the goddess of retribution revenge, learned what had happened and decided to, to teach uh, Narcissus a lesson. So she led him to a pool, and there the young man saw his reflection in the water for the first time, and he fell in love, and fell in love with his own reflection. Um, and then whenever he realized that this was his own... Uh, his, he, was, he was trapped, basically, staring uh, in love with his own reflection until eventually he, he fell in. And apparently there's a lily, or a flower called the, the Narcissus flower from, from which it gets its name. 
But Narcissus saw his own reflection and fell in love. He was trapped by his own image, in love with himself. In Colossians uh, chapter, chapter 3, just before the, the, the bit that we, we read, um, if you look at verse, verse 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In Christ we are to reflect not our, our own image of our old selves, but in Christ we are to reflect the image of our creator. We are to reflect the image of Christ. And in the passage that we have before us this morning, it shows us if, like what Christ is like and how we, as Christ's people, and the, the, the church, the people of Christ, are to reflect the character of Christ. The community of Christ is to reflect the character of Christ. And so often, as, as, as churches, we get our, our reputation not for, for, for being Christ-like, um, but for all the wrong reasons. And this morning, God's word challenges and shows us this morning how it is we are supposed to live and how, how it is we are supposed to treat each other and in a way that doesn't just reflect ourselves, not living obsessed by our own, our own image, but in a way that reflects the beauty and the, the character of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, uh, just a few verses, and packed with so much truth and so much encouragement, so much challenge, we'll not be able to, to exhaust it, but just a few, a few things, uh, ways of appointing us to Christ this morning. If you look first in verse 12, he has put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So, but before we get to thinking, I suppose, about the horizontal relationship, first again, going back to the vertical. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul is reminding us, how are we supposed to see ourselves? How are we supposed to see ourselves, identify ourselves as, as Christians? Chosen ones, holy and beloved. That if we see ourselves like that, if we see ourselves the way God sees us, that's the key to all of our, it's getting the, the vertical relationship right is the key to the horizontal relationships. If we see ourselves as chosen by God, holy and dearly loved or beloved, Narcissus saw himself and loved himself. A narcissist would do very well today in, in today's society because back then the only way you could get to see your reflection, of course, was, was in a pool. We all carry little versions of that pool in our pockets where we can be like narcissists and take it out and look at ourselves and take selfies and obsess over our own image. And today we're, we're, we're so many people, if not all of us, in a way, love our own image. We can see it and obsess over it, retake and retake that selfie and change the filter and Photoshop it and change it. And there's been this rise of, 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 of self-image, of obsession with self-image, and at the same time a real rise in anxiety, particularly among young people. These two things rising at the same time. Social media and self-image being pushed all the time and anxiety. Because when we stare at ourselves and obsess about ourselves, then we're striving, we, we see our own imperfections. And we strive and we fight. To, we, we want to be perfect. So we have to Photoshop. We have to change. We become increasingly dissatisfied with, with who we are. But Paul's saying, first of all, don't, don't look within for your identity. 
Don't look within to, to, to fix yourself, but see yourself as God has, you, that you're chosen by him, that you're dearly loved. And you don't have to fight. You don't have to take a thousand and, and, and one selfies to get, a, get the right one, to be happy with who you are. Accept that God sees you in your imperfections and your sinfulness and says, I love you. He has chosen you and you are dearly loved by God. We can stop wrestling and fighting, but we can accept his approval. Before we can, ref- we can reflect Christ, first of all, we need to allow Christ to, to fix us, to fix our, our own hearts. Stop trying to f- perfect and improve ourselves, but accept how he sees us, that we are chosen and loved by him. So we come to him as God's chosen ones, if we're trusting in Jesus, holy and beloved. And then there's just four, uh, four, things about, four things that Christ does in the following verses that Paul encourages us to do. He says, put on then, uh, as God chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The first thing is the forgiveness of Christ. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to reflect the forgiveness of Christ. As Christ has forgiven you, as Jesus has forgiven you, so we also must forgive. Um, remember Joseph? Uh, Joseph, he sold into slavery and he end up, ends up in, in uh, Potiphar's household. And Potiphar's wife tempts him to, to commit a, a, adultery with her. And this is how, how Joseph replies. He says, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me against you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a thing and sin against? And you think he's going to say, Potiphar. He's basically said, Potiphar's my master. He's given me everything. Um, I can enjoy all the things in his house. How could, I, how could I then sin against Potiphar by, by, by taking his wife? But that's not what he says. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And all of our, our sins, our, 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 our sins affect often and hurt other people. But every sin that we commit ultimately is a sin, not just because it hurts other people, because, but because it grieves the heart of God. The God who makes us and loves us, gives us all that we have, and tells how we should live, and creates us to live in with honours and glorifies him. And that's where we find our deepest satisfaction, living for him. And yet so often we, we, we turn and throw it back in his, in his face. So sin isn't just about hurting other people, again, the horizontal. Sin is about the vertical. Our sins grieve the heart of God. And yet, Every sin we've ever committed grieves the heart of God. And yet, Colossians 3, the Lord has forgiven you all of our sins from, the, from, from our childhood till the day we die. Every sin we've ever committed, if we trust in Christ, forgiven. Christ has forgiven you of everything. If you can think of the worst thing that you've ever done in your darkest moment, it's forgiven. You're holy and beloved by God for 
forgiven. We are a forgiven community. And we all come into the church totally equal, every single one of us. No matter what our past is, no matter what we've done, we all come as equally as forgiven as each other. We are forgiven. And then how does that affect how we treat each other? You have been forgiven. Do you remember the parable of the, the man who um, he owed his, his master a great deal and he, he couldn't pay and he went and his, his, uh, for his master said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found, he found one of his fellow, fellow servants who owed him a, t- a tiny amount in comparison. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And Paul Colossians says, you have been forgiven. How could we then be like a man in the parable? Who had been given for so much. And then go out and then not forgive others. As Christ's community, forgiveness should be part of our, our DNA. How could we possibly withhold forgiveness and, and, and hold and nurse grudges against others? Whenever we ourselves have been forgiven, unforgiveness and, and resentment and, and bitterness it should have no place in the Christian community. And so often it, it does. But Paul said, if you've truly understood grace, that you did nothing to deserve grace. I love what it says. He says, bearing with one another. And it, Paul it kind of implies that we are going to annoy each other. Bear with one another. If you're bearing with someone, they are annoying you. So Paul's not saying that you're not, he's being real, we are going to annoy each other. But we are going to have to bear with each other. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. And it's not that, oh, it'll just be a misunderstanding. And and if you just talk about it, it'll all be okay. You You will have a complaint. Somebody will really have hurt you. Somebody might really have done something that will have caused a real grievance. So he's not talking about small things that don't really matter. He's saying there'll be times in the Christian community when somebody does something that really genuinely hurts you. And Paul's saying, the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Radical, real forgiveness. It calls us to the forgiveness of Christ. He calls us to the peace of Christ. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He calls us to the forgiveness of Christ, and he calls us to the peace of Christ. And he talks about the peace of Christ. He's talking about the word, apparently, um, when it says that the peace of Christ must rule. That word's almost like a, a referee or an umpire. Who, who rules and, and arbitrates and decides what happens. They're saying the peace of Christ should rule in the community. So whatever happens, whatever, whatever disagreements, whatever's going on, peace should be the one that, that rules. Peace should, should, should uh, persevere over, over everything. No, no matter what happens, one of the most important thing in the church is that there, there is peace. That we might disagree. It doesn't mean that, that we you compromise your principles for the sake of peace. When the Jeremiah the prophet, uh, he, he, he indicted the false prophet. The false prophet said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They said, oh, the exile is not going to happen when it was going to happen. 
And Jeremiah said, no, you, you, you shouldn't prophesy peace when, there's, when there is no peace. So it doesn't mean that we should sacrifice our, our principles and say, well, I, I totally disagree with what's happening. and I'm offended, but I'm not going to say anything for the sake of peace. We should be able to disagree even on our principles. But when we disagree on our principles, we should be able to do it peaceably in a way that doesn't destroy and uh, disrupt the peace of the church. The peace of Christ should rule. Um, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, they're told that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And he's, talking, he's speaking there to the, the Jewish and Gentile divide, these two totally different groups, and they're brought together brought together by Christ, the peace of Christ, breaks down the walls and bring them, brings them together. And if the peace of Christ can, can, can bring together the divide of, of Jews and Gentiles, and the disagreements and the, the lack of peace that we, we may be temp- tempted to have um, are, are of nothing in comparison. The peace of Christ should rule. I can remember in, in the church I, I brought up in, there was these two uh, older farmers and um, lovely oh, uh, older men, but they didn't always see eye to eye on everything, and it was kind of historic family disagreements and all sorts of things going on, and the different different ways of looking at the world. Um, and but two two old but two beautiful, lovely Christian, godly, Christ-like men, and they didn't disagree, didn't agree on everything. And they might they would say their piece in church meetings or, or, or at times, but I never once heard them say a, a bad word about the other. Ne- never ever think anything personal. They disagreed in principle, and they held to their principles very strongly, but they would never hurt, be, be hurtful. They would never criticize. They would never destroy the peace of, of the church or the, the, the fellowship. And where they disagreed, they maintained a love and, and a unity. And two men... Um, totally uncool by, by the world's standards. But just, in my mind, two men who reflected Christ in, in, a, in a really way, not perfect man, but in a really lovely, uh, godly way. Are we able to, even when we disagree in principle, are we able to maintain the peace that Christ brings? The forgiveness of Christ, the word of Christ, uh, the peace of Christ in the word of Christ. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of Christ in the Christian community in the church is to dwell richly. The word of, I love that phrase, is to dwell in you richly. The past week I've been taking, you know those um, vitamin tablets you put in water and then they all fizz out. Varaka, or whatever called Varaka, whatever they're called, I don't know what they're called. But you put them in water, and then they all fizz out, and then the water turns orange, and then you get a lovely vitamin drink, which is supposed to make you feel uh, so much better. Um, but I, I love watching that drop into the water, and it just diffuses, and the tablet's gone, but it fills the water. And that's what I always think of when I read that, that verse, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As if the word of Christ is to be in the Christian community, be in the church, is to diffuse amongst the church the way, the way that tablet does in the water. It's to be everywhere. It's to fill the church, the word of Christ. We're to be so um, filled with and so caught up with, with, with what God says to us in his word. It's to permeate and fill every, every part of us. It's to permeate our relationships and how we treat each other. 
um, recently I was listening to the other day uh, on the radio two men talking about Star Wars that's how sad I am I, I listen to men on, on the radio talking about Star Wars but they, they were talking about how, how Star Wars had brought them together and they live in two different parts of America and how they wouldn't have known each other or they wouldn't have maintained their relationship with each other if it hadn't been for Star Wars they're talking about how, how great Star Wars is and I, I agree with, with all that um, but you know how much greater is, is the word of God Star Wars okay those two guys they both live in America both probably have very similar interests and likes and dislikes like sci-fi and whatever else. Okay, I brought them together. But the word of Christ brings a whole room of people from all sorts of arts and parts and backgrounds. People from Yemen, God willing, people in Socotra, all over the world. If you've travelled on, on mission trips, you, you meet people whose lives are totally different. Their, their, their experiences, their, their background is totally different. And that we unite around the word of Christ. It dwells in people all over the world. And I love the short time that I spent in, in Peru as a teenager. I loved going to these remote places with, with people who maybe didn't even speak Spanish. They spoke Aymara or Quechua, one of the tribal languages. And you're their version or their worldview, their concept of, of the world, totally alien from mine. And yet we're, we're brothers and sisters can't speak the same language, no idea about each other's backgrounds, and you are brothers and sisters. We have this unity and this bond that we share in the church. We read the same word of God and enjoy and, and benefit from the same word. Recently in the, in the Growing Together, we were looking at the, the Psalms, and I was, I was reading through the history of how the Psalms through the church, through thousands of years, from, from shepherds. Uh, to priests in, in, in monasteries, uh, to in every country and all over the world, people reading the same words that we read in the Psalms, being spoken to by the same God, getting the same comfort and same help from God. It's amazing how God speaks through his word. It is to dwell on us richly. We are to teach and admonish one another. And I don't think that means from the, pul- from the pulpit, just. But in our day-to-day relationships, are we encouraging, challenging, helping each other from God's word in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as you do with thankfulness in your hearts to God? And then lastly, the name of Christ. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Loving all of it, of, of all of it. As we relate to each other, as we, as we live and worship as a church, our goal is not to be make, make myself great, make myself better. And it's a common thread running through all of it, from the forgiveness um, to, to peace to, to submitting to God's word. It's about, is my life about me putting myself forward? And how, how do I view others? Are other people in my life a tool for me to use to, to advance my own opinions and my own status? Do I see other people as a ladder to climb over for me to get to the top? Or do I realise actually I was put on this earth not for my name and my fame and my reputation, but I was put on this earth to, for the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm put on this earth to worship and glorify him. When I realise and grasp that, then I realise that I'm a servant. I'm a servant to Christ and I'm a servant to all in the church. And my life is about living for him. We were made for him. We weren't made for our own name. We weren't made for our own image. Uh, 
narcissist idolized his own image and it destroyed him. And if we become obsessed by, by ourselves and become obsessed by our own reputation, by our own status, whether social media or in work or, or wherever, if we become consumed by self-promotion and our own ego and our own glory, it will destroy us. Because that's not what you were made for. You were made for his name. But when, when we worship him, we are freed from being trapped at the pool. But we can get up and we're not trapped into looking down. But we can look up and we are freed by worship. I've maybe told this story before, so forgive me. I'm at the point now where I can't remember what illustrations and things I've used before. Um, so forgive me if you've heard this one before, but it's, it's, it's very powerful. In October 2006, a man walked into a little school in an Amish community in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was a gunman. And he, took t- he shot ten people. And he killed five uh, children between seven and 13 years old uh, before taking his own life. One of the terrible, terrible shootings in America. And in a small close-knit Amish community. And how do you respond as a community to something like that? Something so terrible and devastating, so, so hurtful. Well, within hours of the shooting, members of the community had visited with the gunman's parents to show their support. So that's not, not the gunman's parents visiting the people who were shot the other way around. The community people who were, who were victims went to the perpetrator's parents to show their support. At the funeral, more than half the people there were, were Amish. Their, the, the way they responded to this terrible moment in their community made headlines all over the world. People couldn't believe it. They immediately showed grace and forgiveness to, to, to the man and to his family. And a little while later, a TV company tried to make a movie, or did make a movie about it. Um, but whenever they went to tell a story, they, they inserted a, a fictional character one of the parents of the victims, a fictional person, and her story was that she was angry, angry at God and angry at the, the parents and, and unable to forgive. But when the people were there, saw the movie, they said that there was no such person. And it showed that whenever the TV people went to make that movie about that story, that, that to, to sort of cynical, secular people, the idea that all those people would respond with grace and compassion just was too far-fetched, even for, for Hollywood. <laughs> Couldn't happen. So they had to put in a fictional person who, who wouldn't forgive. And the true story was that, that, that they did. And there was a, a group of Christian psychologists or sociologists who looked into it and tried to work out how did they respond in such an amazing, powerful way. And there was two, two, uh, two roots of, of their forgiveness that they found. The first was that as a community, they were grounded in a deep reflection and meditation on Christ, forgiving his tormentors and killers. Basically, as a community, they were so grounded in Jesus that Jesus forgave his killers. That the one they worshipped and loved, when he was being put to death, looked down on his own executioners and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the community was so, was so rooted in that that whenever their turn came for persecution, they were able to say, forgive. The challenge to us, I wonder we, if we ever, when we encounter hardship and persecution, are we so rooted in Christ, 
So rooted in the love of Christ is our response to able to say, forgive. And the second thing they found was that forgiveness is a form of of self-renunciation. That is, as Christians chosen and loved by God, when we realize we're accepted by him and have all that we need in him, then we can give up our rights because that is what we're called to do for the sake of others. That is, Christians, part of our DNA is that we have all that we need from God so we can't give up. We can be self-sacrificial for the sake of others. If we live, go through our lives living like narcissists, we will simply not be capable of the kind of radical love and sacrifice of that community. But imagine if we, as, as a church and as individuals, imagine if we really got it. Imagine if we lived, and I think, I think we don't do a bad job, but imagine if more and more we grew and lived as a community like Colossians chapter 3, where love truly uh, ruled over all, where we, the word of Christ dwelt in us richly, where we were all caught up in the word of Christ, uh, reading it, living by it. Imagine if we got it. Imagine what, our, what difference we would make in our community, in our families. When, when, when the hard times come, people could see those people, they were, their response is forgiveness. Their response is peace. Their response is love. Let's take a moment, just for a few moments, in our hearts. So maybe if you have Colossians 3 open before you, read over it. And just to ponder, is there unforgiveness in our hearts? Are there, there grudges that we are, are nursing? Is there bitterness? Are we putting our rights, our wants, over peace with others? Are we truly absorbing the word of God? Is it shaping us? Is it dwelling richly within us? Let's take a few moments to let God speak to us in our hearts. Father, whatever it is that we're thinking about now in our hearts, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray that the way in which we respond, whatever we do, in word or deed, that we would do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.